Ian said this morning that one of the advantages of being up here is that you don't have to wear your mask. The disadvantage is you will see the full extent of my sunburn. I wonder what you think the following things have in common. Taking your bin out on a Monday evening, getting stopped by the police for doing 35 and a 30, and gnashing your teeth and paying your TV license every year. What do those things have in common for you, other than perhaps being really annoying or irritating? Well, they're just three examples in our day-to-day life when we come into contact with the government, with the state, with the authorities that there are over us in this country. That relationship between us as Christians and the government is something that Paul is going to navigate us through this morning in the first part of Romans 13. So let's read that, and then let's get into what he's saying. Romans 13. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval, for he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid." For he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For because of this, you also pay taxes. For the authorities are ministers of God attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed to them. Taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, honor to whom honor is owed. And we hope that the Lord will open up this passage to us. We've been navigating our way through Romans over the last year or 18 months, and we know that up to this point, Paul has been doing two things. First of all, In chapters 1 to 11, he's been unfolding and unpacking the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news uh, for everybody, that even though we're deserving of God's wrath, God has provided salvation in the person of Jesus Christ and how that works out in our lives. And then from chapter 12 to the end of the book, he has begun to apply that truth to our lives in very practical ways. So, these last chapters of Romans are not just some scattered extra thoughts that Paul wanted to tack on, but this is Paul showing us how the gospel works itself out in your life and in my life. And to a new Christian who's, who's come through what Paul has taught and understands the gospel, there's two ways that they could go wrong in terms of thinking about their relationship to government. The first one is the extreme sort of citizenship is in heaven view, if you like. Having seen what Paul has said, they might think, well, this world has no authority over me. It has no claim on me. I owe it nothing. 
I can withdraw myself from it. In fact, we should all withdraw ourselves from it and essentially shun it, reject it, and it has nothing to do with us. The other extreme, if you like, would be to think, well, this world is evil. We've seen that it's sinful. And any human institution is always going to be corrupt and wicked. And and so it, it must be fought tooth and nail. And if it persecutes us or if it comes at me for what we know to be true, we must fight against it with whatever means we can. But Paul here in Romans 13 steers us a very different road to either of those two extremes. Paul tells us that we have to be subject to the governing authorities, to be submissive is the word. Now, I don't know how you feel when when you get told to be submissive. If you're anything like me, you think, absolutely not. Absolutely not. I'm not going to be submissive. I'm going to let you put your foot on my neck. That's the last thing that's going to happen. I'm my own person. I'll do what I want. I'm not going to be submissive. And yet Paul tells us each of us are to be subject, to be submissive to the authorities that are over us. And that idea of submission is a consistent theme through the New Testament. As church members, we're to be submissive to our elders. Children are to be submissive to their parents. Bond servants are to be submissive to their masters. Even the Lord himself in his life, we see, submitted all things to his Father. And even though that runs so counter to our natural instinct, being submissive is a characteristic that marks the believer. And Paul tells us here, we are to be submissive to the authorities. Someone highlighted two components of of being submissive. uh, There's a a thought and there's an act. There's, There's showing respect and there's being obedient. And so I want us this morning just to think about the what and the why of that. What does it actually look like for you and me in our circumstance today to be submissive to our government? And why should we do it, first of all? Why does Paul tell us to do this? This is one of those passages that you can read and all of a sudden you start thinking, but, 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 what about, what about, what about? And we will think of at least one exception if we have time before the end. But it's really important that we don't come to a passage and think about all the times it doesn't apply. Because that's probably the part of us that doesn't want to be submissive. So let's hear what Paul is saying. First of all, why? Why is he telling us be subject to governing authorities? Well, the first thing he tells us is that authority itself is from God. There is no authority except from God. Those that exist have been instituted by God. And in saying that, Paul is is totally in step with what the Lord Jesus said himself. When the Lord was being dragged through that sham trial before his crucifixion, and being, being completely unjustly treated by the authorities, he turns at one point to Pilate, one of the key figures, and he says, you would have no authority over me unless it was given to you from above. So the existence of authority is there at God's sovereign pleasure. In fact, Paul tells us that, that God has given us authority, has given us government for a few reasons. The first is that he tells us, well, God has given us authority to be a terror to evil. That's the first of Paul's functions of human government, if you like, restraining evil. Government is there to to hold back 
the full force of the fall in this world. God has given us government to hold back evil in this world, to punish evil. In that sense, Paul says here, as the authorities do that, as they punish evil, they are acting as God's agents. They are God's avengers. They are carrying out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. So what we're seeing is that if you murder someone and the police arrest you for it, and the courts try you for it, and the justice system convicts you for it, and the government imprisons you for it, all of those agents are acting on behalf of God to carry out God's wrath against evil. And the more I thought about this, I realized, though Paul doesn't say it explicitly, even in that action, they're also being agents of God's mercy. Because by convicting you of your evil, you're being presented with an opportunity to repent of it. Otherwise, we're in a situation, as happened at some points in the Bible, where everyone does what's right in their own eyes. There's no king in Israel, we're told in the Old Testament at one point, and everyone did what was right in their own eyes. Well, the problem with that is if you've seared your conscience and you live your life doing what seems right in your own eyes, it's only whenever you die and come before God that you realize it wasn't right in God's eyes. But government in restraining and punishing evil holds back the effect of the fall, but it also provides an opportunity for repentance. Secondly, Paul tells us the government is, is there as a servant for your good. The authorities are there as God's servant for your good. They collect taxes because they're being ministers of God. And I think that's particularly encouraging for any of you who are employed in the civil service or embarking on a career in the civil service. Perhaps reflecting on that will challenge you to look at at whatever work you do, large or small, in a new light. Maybe to realize for the first time that my employment is not just mundane. What I am doing in civil service is being God's minister for good. Through your job, you are part of the way God has instituted to bring and do good to other people. It might be that your job is making sure that the rivers and the waterways are clear of pollution. Your job might be planning where roads and towns get built. Perhaps your job is doing administration in the jobs and benefits office. Whatever it is, you are being God's servant for good, for people's good. And if that's you, perhaps this week as you go into Monday morning, you might just pray to the Lord and say, Lord, thank you that I'm given this opportunity to be your minister for good, and please help me as I go about my day-to-day business, as I do whatever it is that you have put in front of me to do it to the best of my ability, to do good for those around us, to give you a renewed purpose. So Paul said we're to submit to authorities. Why? Because the authorities are from God. They're there as a terror to evil, to restrain the fall. They're there for people's good. And finally, Paul says, we're to be subject to the authorities because of the sake of our conscience. It's interesting that Paul hasn't said you need to be subject to the authorities so they'll be really nice to us. Or you need to be subject to the authorities so they'll make sure Christians always have this special little niche in the world. That's not what he says. And and he certainly doesn't say you've got to be subject to the authorities because they've already been nice to you. Just think about the context that Paul is writing to here. This is Rome, probably a relatively stable and peaceful and hopeful time in Rome, but nonetheless, 
a system that instituted worship of the emperor that was fundamentally hostile to Jesus Christ and to the gospel of Jesus Christ, a system that viewed Christians suspiciously as outsiders, as a threat to the empire. But Paul says that's not, that's not really relevant in your submission to them. He does say submit for the sake of your conscience, though. And I think what he's getting at there is that should there come a time when the government does treat you unfairly, when you do become persecuted for what you believe, in your own conscience you are clear. This isn't happening because I was a bad citizen. This isn't happening because I've earned it. This is unjust treatment for the sake of the Lord Jesus Christ. So we're clear in our conscience. So Paul tells us, when you come into contact with the government in your life, you're to be subject and submissive to it. God has instituted the idea of authority and government. No one is in rule or power unless God permits them. They are there to hold back evil and to promote good, and you're to submit to them so that you have a clear conscience. So that's the why. What does it mean? We've got to carry Sunday morning to Monday morning here. What happens tomorrow morning in our lives when we're subject to governing authorities? Paul gives us a couple of pointers here. The first thing he says is, well, you should do what is good. Want to be thought well of by the authorities? Do what is good. Do good things. Be marked by good works, by, by a good character even, and there will be approval. It's like Paul is almost saying when those in authority think about Christians, whatever problems they might have with us, they should also have this list in their head of, well, they look, think of all those good things that they do. Think of all that positive contribution to society that they make. Think of all of that good that there is. Here in our church, we have people who are involved with food banks, which is a, a charitable enterprise to provide for people of all backgrounds who fall on hard times. As a church, has always been part of our, our DNA to be involved in providing aid internationally, taking what we have been blessed with and using it to help those around the world who are facing difficulties. As a church, we know our attitude to the poor, who the Lord talks about so much, should be care and love and protection. So do what is good. I'm a huge fan of a podcast called This American Life, and it, it, it's been hosted by a, a chap called Ira Glass for 25 years, and he, he's very openly an atheist. And I was listening to him being interviewed recently, and he was being interviewed about why he felt that Christians were always mistreated in the media. In the course of this, he says about, you know, anytime Christians are portrayed, they're portrayed terribly, as these mad people, these crazy doctrinaire people. But he says, but in my own life, the Christians in my life that I encountered, they were wonderful people. They were good-hearted, generous-hearted, I think he says. And so, that is what Paul is getting at. He's wanting us nearly to construct this paradox where, where the authorities might look at us, they might disagree with us, they might think there's those Christians, they ultimately aren't loyal to us as an ultimate thing. They ultimately believe some things that run very counter to what we think of as a society, but they do good. They do good. And that's a challenge to the Christian church in, in Northern Ireland today. Are we known for doing what is good? 
in the popular culture and popular mind, when someone says evangelical Christian, what image comes to people's mind? And yes, there are gospel issues that we must stand for truth on, but we should also be associated with doing good. So, do what is good, Paul says. Being subject to the governing authorities, do good to them. Secondly, pay your taxes. Pretty sure I heard a groan when I read that. Never any doubt that Paul was writing to win popularity contests. Never any doubt that those of us who have to follow after him and preach it are going to win any. But here it is. Paul says, pay your taxes. Pay your taxes. Why is that? Again, Paul is it's totally in step with what the Lord Jesus says, isn't he? Render to Caesar what is Caesar's. Render to God what is God. Paul is saying to us, accept the requirements that society puts on you. Accept the obligations that are on you as a citizen of this society and meet them fully. We should be known as people who contribute to society, who do our bit, who pay our way, who do our fair share, pay our taxes. Seems such a simple and a mundane thing. And yet Paul tells us that even in doing that, this is how government is able to be a minister of God. And so Paul infuses even paying our taxes with a Christian purpose. Paying our taxes allows the government to do good, to fulfill its God-given role. So pay your taxes. And this is yet another example where I am convicted and I share that conviction with you of the Lord's love for private unseen justice and righteousness because it is so easy so easy to get away with not doing this. I speak to some of you, perhaps working people, so many payments come in in cash. How easy is it to put some of that in a shoebox and it never gets declared? Paul says, pay your taxes. Those of you who are employers, so easy to put someone through the books at minimum wage and top them up with cash in hand. Paul says, no, pay revenue where revenue is due. Some of you perhaps blessed with a second home and you can rent it out to others as a source of income. That income never needs declared. Paul says, no, pay what is owed. Pay what is owed. So, Paul has told us, do good, pay your taxes, and finally, show honor. Show honor. Honor and respect those in authority. Now, that doesn't mean that you have to agree with them or vote for them or champion them, but it does mean that you have to respect them. And that is a big challenge for us in Northern Ireland with our fractured past. For the last 20 years, we're depending on what side of the community you grew up on, you'll have seen someone from the other side in a position of power and authority, someone you might find very distasteful to be near. And yet, Paul says, if you ever were, show them respect. Show them the honor that is due. Be respectful citizens. I saw a terrible example of this not happening not that long ago an open-air meeting happening in a town near where I lived, and they were illegally parked. Some cars were illegally parked as part of it, and a parking warden, a minister of the state, came up and said, you're going to have to move these cars. And she was surrounded by three quote-unquote Christian men who berated her for 10 minutes, berated her for doing her job. Respect was not shown. Honor was not shown. And instead of saying, we're terribly sorry, we'll get those moves straight away, what a witness that would have been potentially to that young woman, they were videoed for 10 minutes disgracing themselves. And once again, the testimony of the Lord Jesus was damaged. Paul says, respect where respect is due. 
honor where honor is due. So our posture, anytime we encounter someone from the state or the authorities, whether it's a parking inspector or the tax man or the police stopping you, whoever it is, we show them honor and respect. So that's the what uh, of, of living in, in subjection to the government. Doing good, paying our taxes, and showing honor. Not difficult to understand, but a challenge for us to do. Now, for one minute, the one thing we have not given a lot of time to is the situation where a Christian exists in a state that is hostile to it. Does, that, does, does what Paul has said here still apply to them? Well, when we think of what Paul has been through in his own life to this point in terms of injustice suffered and the situation that we've talked about in Rome, the reality is yes. Government doesn't have to earn our submission to it. We are to be subject to it. But are there any circumstances in which we might have to not do this? Well, I can think of at least one. And that would be the very particular and in our lives extraordinarily unusual circumstance where the government requires us to sin, requires us, mandates us to do something that we know is not what God wants. Think of the Old Testament and Daniel and, and the law was passed to say that he could not pray, could not commune or have fellowship with God. Well, in that situation, Daniel disobeyed the government and obeyed God. In the New Testament, Peter and the early apostles are arrested and they're told you must not preach the gospel. You mu Essentially, the great commission that you were given, go and make disciples in Jerusalem, you must disregard that. Just ignore what Jesus told you to do there. And they say to the council, well, whether it's right for us to listen to you or listen to God, you decide we must obey God. And they disobey the government. Now, it's important to understand that this is not a situation where the government permits something that is sinful, legislates for something that is sinful, even enshrines and encourages something that is sinful. That is not something that means we get out of submitting to the government. It is only in that very particular event where the authority is requiring you to be knowingly disobedient to God. In that situation, we obey God rather than men. So as we close, we can see what Paul is getting at here. He's given us some context. However all-powerful the state seems, however dominant and oppressive the Politburo or the Parliament is, it sits below God's authority. Whatever throne we are looking at in our culture, there is a higher throne than all the world has known. My kingdom, says the Lord, is not of this world. But while we are here, Paul is telling us, no matter how the society around us view us, no matter how those authorities are treating us, we are to build a consistent reputation for being good citizens, doing good, paying our dues, and being respectful. That fits, doesn't it, with what Paul's told us in chapter 12 about the mark of the true Christian. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Let's pray that each of us and the wider church in Northern Ireland would take that challenge to our hearts.